pray as we begin. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So uh, I've tried to get my boys into the movies that define my own childhood. Some of you might have done that as parents. Some of those movies have made an impression, like several of them. Most of them uh, did not, were not received real well, which kind of hurt my feelings. Instead, my boys are really into superhero, superhero movies. Uh, this is what they're into. And I'll admit that this is not my preferred genre of movie. To me, it feels like no matter what superhero movie we are watching together, the plot is pretty much the same as the last one we watched together. A regular person is somehow endowed with a superpower that gives deeper meaning to their lives. And these powers are discovered at about the same time that an empirically evil villain has found some way to destroy the entire universe. Inevitably, a clash happens and the superhero ends up winning. I've seen this movie so many times with my boys that I could basically write my own superhero movie, I think. But I confess, I've been sucked into some of these superhero movies lately because these stories have begun to intersect. The superheroes are now beginning to team up with other superheroes to uh, go up against badder and bigger villains. These movies are interesting to me now because you get to see all these sort of disparate heroes with different gifts teaming up for a common purpose. And really, who among us here isn't fascinated with the idea of having a unique superpower? Maybe that's why so many Christians are fascinated with the idea of spiritual gifts. There are four sections in scripture that outline various spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, which was read for us. And then Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4, where we find these lists. And between these passages, they name about 21 spiritual gifts, depending on how you understand them. Everything from being a pastor to speaking in tongues. It's a really relatively small theme in Scripture, but you wouldn't know that it's a small theme in Scripture because there are hundreds and hundreds of books written on spiritual gifts. I lost count of how many spiritual gift assessments or quizzes are available online by a simple Google search. There, there are entire seminars on spiritual gifts and, and entire ministries that are built around recognizing your spiritual gift. Interestingly, this Fascination with spiritual gifts is actually a kind of a new phenomena. It exploded in the 1940s with the Pentecostal movement, and it became, from that point on, a major part of our Christian church vernacular. This is when scholars began to unpack these lists of spiritual gifts in an effort to help Christians understand what their gifts might be. I have a little bit of history with this. I was in college, and, and one of our administrators asked if I would intern with him with several others for a year. His vision was that every freshman at our liberal arts Christian college would take a spiritual gifts assessment so that they could identify their gifts and begin to serve within those gifts for the good of our school and for the good of the kingdom of God. So our job as interns was to take lots of assessments, go to seminars, and figure out the best tools for spiritual gifts assessment. I took dozens of assessments in that semester, and each one of them was a little bit different, and the results of those were varying. So I became a little jaded 
with this idea of spiritual gifts by the end of it because it felt like I was using these tools to try and uncover this unique superpower in my life that was finally going to bring some deeper purpose to my life. And it seemed like we had gone astray maybe in some way. In fact, I think that's very much what Paul is addressing in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The letters that he writes to Corinth are, are pretty unique. It's clear that Paul is using these lengthy letters to address questions from a church that's really gone astray in a lot of different ways. He's already addressed factions in leadership, discord over personal and business ethics, conflicts over sacrificial meat from the temple, disorder over whether women should veil themselves or not, and divisions between the rich and the poor at the Lord's table. It's almost like he has a, a list of things that he's addressing. It appears as if the Corinthian church has written Paul with questions about all of these things, and he's responding. And spiritual gifts are no different. The Corinthian church was having issues with spiritual gifts, and here Paul begins to answer those questions, and he's going to continue to do so for the next couple chapters through chapter 14. He begins by saying, now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. This is a really diplomatic way for Paul to say, when it comes to spiritual gifts, you've got it all wrong. And I would want to say this morning that I believe the, the Christian church, though well-intentioned, has, has gotten some things wrong, too, in our understanding of spiritual gifts. So I don't want us to be uninformed, either. So I'm going to point out four truths from this passage as we walk through it together. The first truth is there is no hierarchy of gifts. There's no hierarchy of gifts. Verses 2 through 3 can be confusing. Paul appeals to the former lives of these readers, pagan lives that were filled with these idols that could not speak. There's a lot of debate as to what exactly these verses mean, and there appears to be a context here that we're not fully aware of. But this much we know. The Corinthian church was in some way fascinated with divine utterances, divine speech. It makes sense because in pagan Corinthian culture, people would often gather in a cultic sort of assembly around a domestic idol, a mute idol, as Paul calls it, and they would encourage inspired utterances. That was a regular part of their gathering, their worship. As they gathered, one would speak a divine word from that idol that could not speak. Paul, earlier on in chapter 10, calls this kind of thing demonic, but here he's reminding them that in their former pagan life, there was only one way to prove that you had a connection with that idol, with that divine idol, right? And that was through divine utterance, divine speech. But now, they're Christ followers. So their mindset has to change. It makes sense that the Corinthian church would, would esteem the gift of divine utterance, or tongues, as we might call it, above other gifts, because in their former life, that's how you would prove to everybody that you were spiritual. There was no other way to prove it. But Paul is saying something different. He's establishing that it's not inspired speech that is the evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. No, there are, there's no hierarchy of spiritual gifts. No gifts are better or more holy than another gift because, he says in verse 3, the ultimate criterion of whether or not you are, a, uh, you are a spiritual person, you are a spiritually active and alive person, is 
do those gifts lead you to exalt Jesus as Lord? Say, Jesus is Lord. And that can be done in many ways, not just through divine utterance or divine speech. Which leads me to truth number two. The Spirit loves diversity. The Spirit loves diversity. Verses 4 through 7 outline this truth. There's one Spirit from whom all flows gifts and service and working. Those things are actually not separate. They, they go together. Gifts, service, and working. The body of Christ doesn't need a group of people who all have the gift of tongues. That would be like having a whole crew of superheroes who are all Spider-Man. And that might be fun to watch for a little while, but it's not going to be nearly as effective as a crew of superheroes with varied gifts and varied abilities. The Spirit's work is diverse, yet it's unifying. God himself is manifested in the diversity of these gifts. And Paul notes in verse 7 that these diverse gifts are given for the common good. In other words, the gifts are given to individuals not for their own benefit, not for us to own and to benefit ourselves, but for the benefit and the edification of the entire church community and even the world. Some of these diverse gifts are listed in verses 8 through 10, which leads me to my next truth, that there is no biblical assessment for individual spiritual gifts. This list might remind you of the Sunday that we spent talking about another list, uh, the fruit of the Spirit. And I discouraged you on that Sunday from thinking of that list as a, a menu of virtues that we can choose like we choose what we're going to have for lunch later today. The fruit of the Spirit is actually a whole. You either have it or you don't. Well, conversely, this list is one of those lists where we're not expected to have every gift on this list. But I would say the same word today, which is don't think of it as a menu where you can pick and choose. It's the Spirit that gifts us. There's no quiz in Scripture that helps us identify what our spiritual gift might be. Instead, Paul offers this list as a means of illustrating the diversity of the manifestations of the Spirit for the church. So you couple this list with those other lists that I had up there, and it is diverse indeed. Some of these gifts are pretty easy for us to connect with, right? Like wisdom or faith. I think all of us right now could think of a Christian in our lives who we would say they are a wise person, or that person really has a, has a faith that's, that's remarkable and inspires me. But some of these gifts are more difficult to understand. Like four of them in this passage that are kind of hard to understand, like healing and miraculous gifts and prophecy and the discerning of spirits. Those might sound strange, but those gifts are very real. I've seen all four of them in different people in my lives. In, in, in my life, I've seen that in different people's lives. And this is just the list in 1 Corinthians, by the way. I'm convinced that no one list or even all the combined lists are meant to be exhaustive. I can think of numerous gifts that I've seen in other people that aren't listed in Scripture, but are clear manifestations of the Spirit's work in their life. I wish we had time to unpack all of these gifts, but I think we can agree these gifts are diverse indeed. Lots of people have tried to classify these diverse gifts into categories, but I don't think that's Paul's intention here. I don't think that's what he wants. He doesn't seem interested in self-assessing our gift. And that's not to say that gifts assessments are all bad. I, I offered a spiritual gifts assessment to a discipleship course that I was doing this last year, and, and the discussion was really wonderful. But when I did that, I encouraged them to keep an open mind and open hands concerning these gifts. 
It's the Spirit who gives the gift. It's the Spirit who makes them manifest, not us. Which leads me to the last truth in this text, which is we don't get to choose our gifting. We don't get to choose our gifting. Paul makes this summary argument in verse 11. All these gifts are activated by one and the same Spirit who allots to each one individually just as the Spirit chooses. The Corinthian church had the same issues that I think we have in our church today. We try and categorize. We box in. We, we sew up how the Spirit is going to work. And Paul is more than happy to bust our categories and bust our boxes and, and rip those hems that we have by saying, the Spirit is going to do what the Spirit is going to do. Spiritual gifts are not for us to consume or to manipulate. The Spirit allots as the Spirit chooses. So we see Paul's corrective for the Corinthian church, and I'm aware how some of my uh, thinking on this and my understanding of spiritual gifts needs to change as well. But you might be asking, what are some practical takeaways for, for us today? And I've been pondering that this week, and actually a visual, an image came right to my front door. Some of you have walked past our front yard before, uh, right here on 4th Street, and you've seen that swing that we have uh, in the tree in the front. We've had that swing for probably four or five years, uh, and, and under that swing has always been dirt and, and mud. This year, we decided that we had to do something about that problem. I tried in previous years to seed uh, that muddy, dirty space that, uh, to try and seed some grass under that tree, but either because the conditions are, are no good in that place or because I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing, uh, grass never came up. And Katie and I spent way too much time cleaning dirt and mud off of our living room carpet for our swing-happy kids. So Roger helped us solve the problem by getting some sod, and that sod was laid down last week. It is really beautiful. It's like lush and green, and I'm tempted at least a couple times a day to just go lay on it and take a nap. We could have seeded, but it was so much easier to lay that sod down and just enjoy the lawn. And I think this is how I've viewed spiritual gifts in my life. I just want sod. I want that lush, green, developed, ready-made gift in my life, I want to select it off the shelf, I want to roll it out, and I want to enjoy it. I'm drawn to the fully developed quick fix. But what I want to say this morning is I think that spiritual gifts are seeds, not sod. The Spirit seeds our lives with gifts. Gifts that are meant to, to help us and to help the world around us confess Jesus as Lord. Gifts that are meant to edify the church Gifts that are meant to serve the common good. I'm not in control of what comes up where and what comes up when. The Spirit is. So with this analogy, here's, here's my takeaways uh, for us from this text. First, I want you to know that the Spirit has indeed gifted you. I meet people quite often who express that they would gladly love and serve God and the church if they only knew what their spiritual gift was. I believe that each of you by virtue of being created in the image of God, we're hardwired with gifts and abilities that were meant to give God glory and to guide you through a life of serving him. This gift is part of your identity, sort of like superhero arcs, okay? And those gifts are not meant to be owned by you. They are meant to be used by you. 
So never question that the Spirit has indeed seeded your life with wonderful God-glorifying gifts. Second thing is, you probably have more than one gift. I think all of us have more than one gift. You may have one gift that's elevated in your life, but don't limit your thinking to just one gift. I believe that we all have various gifts within us because of the Spirit's work. There are certain gifts that I've seen evidence of in, in my life, but there are several that I've never seen evidence of in my life, and that's okay. I've never spoken in tongues. Confession. I've never spoken in tongues, and that's okay. The last time I took an assessment, I was shocked to find that I had rated fairly highly in administration. Now, if you had asked me 10 years ago if I would ever rate highly in administration, I would have laughed you out of the room. But because I've given myself to more administration in my work life, that gift has actually grown in me. Think of the Spirit seeding your life with a mix of different seeds, which were, are going to sprout up at different times and places in your life as God knows you need them and as the Spirit chooses. Third, life in the Spirit actually helps to cultivate the gifts manifestation in our lives. We can actually cultivate these. I'm sure there is a way to seed my front yard, by the way, but I don't know enough about cultivating that space. And that's why grass never came up. I didn't know how to create an environment where those seeds would take hold and grass was going to sprout up. And so too it is for us. When we consciously live life in the Spirit, we are cultivating a place for those spiritual gifts to thrive and flourish and manifest themselves. Think over what we've been talking about for the last six weeks. Are you seeking to be obedient to the Spirit? Are you asking the Spirit to fill you over and over again? Are you inviting the Spirit to take control of your life? Are you asking for the filling of the Spirit on a regular basis and saying no to other things so you can say yes to the Spirit, then I'm quite convinced that you're going to see those gifts sprout up and cover your life with the Spirit's powerful presence. At the end of my internship, I was teetering on becoming jaded with the whole idea of spiritual gifts, as I've confessed. I'd taken so many assessments, and, and each one had elevated all these different gifts that I was starting to think the whole process was really kind of worthless. I remember making a list of the top gifts of all these different assessments, and I began to get frustrated. God, which one is it? But as I turned to Scripture, I found Paul's words. It is the Spirit that gifts me. Not an assessment, not me, myself. So I just began to pray that the Spirit would gift me for whatever I needed for the common good. Before my feet hit the ground in the morning, I would pray that the Spirit would give me whatever gift in whatever way the Spirit deems best so that I might serve God this day. Now, I know some of my giftings. I know that I'm gifted as a pastor and a teacher and a leader. But if God wants to gift me with prophecy or healing or tongues today, I say, Spirit, have at it. Go for it. Surprise me. Manifest yourself however you want for the common good this day. My dream, in many ways, is that our church and the larger church of Christ might be like a massive gathering of superheroes. Diverse, varied, activated, empowered, using their gifts for the common good to do what superheroes do. What do superheroes do? They save the world. <laughs> they take part in saving the world. 
I think that's why the Spirit has gifted us, so that we might partner in God's work in the world. So I invite you to join me in encouraging one another to cultivate space for the Spirit's gifts to, to, to fill us and develop in our lives. Then, let's assemble together and marvel at the Spirit of God's creativity and unity and power. Amen? I'm going to put up on the screen for you something that we've been doing for several weeks. We've been building an affirmation of the Holy Spirit. And this affirmation is one that we can say together. We've been building a line each week as we continue to build our understanding of the Holy Spirit. So would you stand and let's affirm our Holy Spirit affirmation together. If you would speak this with me. I believe in the Holy Spirit promised by Jesus to be our helper, at work in us to bear fruit unto Christ's likeness, poured out at Pentecost for all believers in Christ, available to fill us whenever we ask, desiring our obedience, gifting us for the common good. Amen. I'm going to invite you to grab your hymnals as we sing our closing hymn this morning. Hymn number 684, We All Are One in Mission.